So then 734 Bitcoin has soared in value in recent months, rising from zero since being created in 2009 to around $3,000 earlier this month. Helped along the way by, for example, Japan's recent move to offer legitimacy by passing cryptocurrency regulations. But we also hear of Bitcoin's use on the darker side of the internet, of its use in blackmail transactions and other criminal applications. Let's bring in Paul Vigna, a veteran business journalist at Wall Street Journal, covering issues in markets as well as cryptocurrency. One of the writers behind the age of cryptocurrency, how Bitcoin and the blockchain are challenging the global economic order, which is being prepared for publication in this country, if you're interested. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, hi, I'm happy to be here. And uh, for anyone not familiar with cryptocurrency, I guess we shouldn't presume widespread knowledge on this. Can you define it for us? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, very broadly, all it really is, is is digital money. And there's a software program behind that that, that goes into maintaining it. And, and really what you have is, it's really what it is, is it's a digital ledger. It's a database. It's, it's a record of transactions. So you have this kind of open ledger of transactions that is, the idea of it, especially with Bitcoin, uh, is that you have this open ledger, these transactions that everybody can see and anybody can verify so that you can't have any uh, you can't have any counterfeit coins and every transaction is immediately um, processed and settled. And what that ideally does is it it kind of gets rid of the need to have a middleman standing between transactions. In other words, if say you know you and I were going to Say you were going to sell me something, a car, a house, whatever, and we're going to do it as a, a cash transaction. Uh, well, not a cash, you know, like, there would be banks involved. And with Bitcoin, I can literally send you money, you know, the, the Bitcoins I can send into your account in about 10 minutes. And, and the transaction is settled and it is confirmed on the blockchain, is what they call the open ledger. And, and that's it. So it's really just. It's a very fast, cheap uh, way of maintaining monetary transactions. And when we speak about transactions, are, are these primarily investors who are involved with Bitcoin purchases at the moment, or, or are we actually seeing it have more practical applications? I'm just wondering how they work. Right, right. It, it's really both. Um, and right now, because it is, <clears throat> excuse me, because it is still kind of a new thing. A lot of the transactions, a lot of the, the 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 activity on Bitcoin and some of these other coins also is is a lot of investors, a lot of speculation, a lot of people buying and holding, thinking that the value is going to go up, and then so far they've been right. But you do have you do have some instances of people using it sort of for real world things. I mean, I think a couple of years ago. People like to talk a lot about you'd go to the coffee shop and buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. and, and that isn't happening as much. But you're seeing more um, online retail use of it. You're seeing more remittance use of it. And again, these are all, and I think this is actually the biggest thing to keep in mind with all of these is that all of this is very early. All of this is very nascent. All of this is still very experimental. But within that, you do have some retail use for it, uh, and you're having more of it in Japan. We can talk about Japan in a second. It's a really interesting case over there. Uh, and the remittance market is starting to grow, and that 
could that could end up being a really important use case for Bitcoin because if you give people a very quick, easy, and cheap way to send money overseas, that's something yeah it should be attractive to a lot of people. Well, the the Japanese offer of legitimacy seems to have been one of the factors behind the rise uh, of Bitcoin, but right. that that alone doesn't explain it. Why has it been soaring, really soaring, actually, um, th- yeah. dramatically in the last few months? Well, the the, the Japanese, you're, you're right, the, the ja- Japan's FSA, the financial, um, got to always get the name wrong, right? <laughs> uh, the, the FSA, or the Financial Services Agency, they put in a law this spring, basically they, they legitimized Bitcoin by, off, by, by um, putting a regulatory structure around companies that were doing business as money transmitters with Bitcoin exchanges, and they, they codified Bitcoin as a payment method. So they kind of gave it a seal of approval, and you're seeing in Japan a lot of activity there, and that's driving up the price, and in South Korea too. I mean, right now, I checked before we got on the radio because I wanted to know, um, the, the, largest, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the largest trading pair is the dollar Bitcoin, second largest is yen, Third largest is the yuan. So Japan and South Korea are both becoming really large, uh, large bases for Bitcoin. But you're right; that's not the only story. And part of it too is just what I was talking about before: is, is this speculation that if not Bitcoin, some of these other products that are kind of based off Bitcoin, one of them might take off. And you've seen sort of this surge in, like I said before, a lot of speculative investment people thinking that one of these things are going to take off and they want to get in. And again, you have to keep in mind, this is still a small market. I mean, the U.S. You know, the US dollar market is like a $1.5 trillion market. Bitcoin is now, I think the, the market cap of Bitcoin now is up to like $45 billion. I might have that. I might be out of date. It's been moving so much. But I mean, in terms of this being a real asset class, this is still a very small asset class. So it really doesn't take a lot of money or interest to get in there to move those coins and to see the price pop and and you have seen that but it is a it's look it's it's still a it's a very promising market but it is still very highly speculative yeah so so on the downside of that speculation uh you you see huge fluctuations even hour by hour don't you right yeah you do um there was i think last thursday might have been last it was one day last week it moved you know 15 percent in a couple of hours it's done that in the past. It's gone 15, 20%. It has crashed 40, 50% over a couple of days. I mean, this is an extremely volatile market. It's interesting, too, because you think about a traditional capital market, stocks, bonds, you know, Forex, anything, especially stocks, you know, there are trading hours, there are circuit breakers, there are all kinds of ways that the, the market, you know, sort of slows down, has speed bumps to kind of slow down the trading when they need it. None of that exists in Bitcoin. It is a 24-7 market. There are no trading halts. There are no closing bells. I mean, it is it, it is really, really volatile. And listen, the people who invest in it love it. Like, if you love that sort of like, you know, Wild West, go-go, really, really free market trading, this is the freest market you're ever going to see. But the other side of the the Wild West aspect that's worrying, perhaps, is is this idea that you could use Bitcoin to pay for illicit activities. You could also, uh, as we have seen in very public cases, 
put a virus into someone's computer yeah. and uh, demand that they pay you in Bitcoin for the removal of that virus. Um, that's worrying, isn't it? It is worrying. I, I think people are sort of coming around to the idea that, uh, look, I mean, Bitcoin was set up to be a largely anonymous network, and, and that is just kind of going to be part and parcel of it, much in the same way that, that cash is used to finance illicit activities. So it's just kind of a digital, it's supposed to be a digital version of cash. So when you have a digital version of cash, you're going to have some digital crime that goes with it. The, the, the sort of interesting thing about Bitcoin, though, the wrinkle with Bitcoin, is that, like I said at the top, right, you have this open ledger, this open transaction record. Because of that, because you can trace every single transaction, and regulators, you know, law enforcement, they have figured this out and they have done it. If you have a record of transactions and you have a suspect and you can tie the suspect to that record of transactions, you have an incredible piece of evidence for a court case. And, and people have found that out much to their chagrin that for all the advantages that Bitcoin offers, um, ransomware and drug traffickers and all, uh, there are some serious downsides to it as well for them, for, for people doing illicit activities. And, and for anyone who's listening right now who might have been inspired by what you're saying about the excitement of investing in Bitcoin and getting in there now or, or getting in there on other cryptocurrencies. Right, right. Um, there are some very notable business leaders who are warning against that, who suggest they wouldn't want their money in Bitcoin. Why, why do you think yeah. there is that skepticism? Well, I, look, I mean, the, because the reality of this is if you're, if you're going to go put some money in Bitcoin, you are literally just just placing a, a gamble. You're, you're, you're placing a wager. It's literally a bet. There's no, I mean, I don't want to say there are no fundamentals behind Bitcoin. There are some fundamentals behind Bitcoin, but there is a lot more speculation behind Bitcoin. And this is something that it, it could take off. It, it could become nothing. I mean, there, you know, the reality is, Governments themselves could say, "Hey, you know what? We like this technology. We're going to take it. We're going to we're going to digitize the yuan. We're going to digitize the dollar." And then you have a system that offers all the ease and convenience and cheapness of Bitcoin, but also comes with the government backing. And mm. they could do that. And you know, I mean, Bitcoin could lose just on competitive markets. Other people could come in with better products. So there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of volatility. There's it's still a very early, early thing, and there's no real guarantee. I mean, you're not making a – look, I'll put it this way. You're not really making a fundamental bet. You're making a speculative bet. And if you're comfortable with that, and a lot of people are, well, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to tell – actually, I'm not telling people what to do at all. I'm just a, a reporter. Um, but you have to understand that you're making a very, very speculative bet about a, a product. Much, much like if you're investing in a you unit, know, it's not a company, but it's much like investing in a startup. Uh, most startups fail. So you're investing in something, you believe in it, that's great, good luck with it, but you have to understand that this is a speculative thing and it, it's not, you know, you, you're not buying a bond that has a coupon. You're not buying a stock that has a dividend. You are buying something that literally is just taking a chance. Yeah. Um, of course, people have been dismissing bitcoin for years now and here we are um 
having started in 2009 and it's still around and still rising. So, you know, it's certainly managed to prove some of the doubters wrong so far, uh, just to speak in its favour. But is it not affected by some outside influences? Like, for example, if the United States was to raise its interest rate or the United States was to shift its own monetary policy in one way or another or other major players around the world. Does that not have some impact on Bitcoin? It, it does have some impact. Bitcoin is not, it's not perfectly correlated with traditional capital markets, but it does, and, and people are trying to sell it as this, they are trying to sell it as a digital gold, as a store of value, as a hedge against uncertainty. And you do see Bitcoin move when you have events like that. I mean, look, first off, you're pricing it in dollars. Obviously, it's going to move based on what the dollar does. Um, but you do see it. I mean, it was especially, uh, it was especially, vi- you know, vibrant. I mean, whatever. It was really notable during the Cyprus crisis in 2012-2013 when you had this real fear in Europe that the government's going to come in, that Cyprus was going to become sort of a... Um, the first domino to fall in this idea of governments reaching into your bank account and taking out money. And people flipped out and they thought, well, here's Bitcoin that is completely untouchable by government. And, that you know, you saw it spike up. And you do see that happen from time to time. And that's, a, that's an element of it, but that's not the real thing that, that's driving Bitcoin. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insight, having studied this uh, not only as a Wall Street Journal journalist, but also with uh, your book, The Age of Cryptocurrency. Paul Wigner, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. And uh, the, yeah, the book's going to be out. It's going to be a uh, Korean language version. So we're really excited about that. Likewise. Thanks again. Yeah. And uh, let me put it out to our listeners, wherever you're from. Have you dabbled with bitcoin or done more than dabbling and want to share us your insights to powder sharp 1013 for 51 per message